I must not beer. Beer is the mind killer. Beer is the little death that brings total annihilation. I will drink my beer. I will permit it to wash over me and through me. Where the beer has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain drunk. Tonight, we're talking Dune 2021. Is Sting in this one? Hops and box office flops. A place where we can celebrate the underdog films, the bombs, the disasters, the much maligned movies that have drowned in their infamy. So please sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the year 10,191, and welcome back to Hops and Box Office Flops. Tonight, we have a very special episode for our 131st episode, Dune 2021. I am Captain Cash, your guide through the planet of Arrakis, and with me tonight is the honorable leader of House Atreides, Chumpzilla. My road leads into the desert. Very good. And his evil counterpart, leader of House Harkonnen, the Thunderous Wizard. I dream of rain. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna make a lot of sting jokes on this. This movie feels a lack of sting a little bit. Not like a ton, but a little. Definitely a lack of sting in his killer <laughs> underwear. Mankini. Yeah. Every step we take. We stray further from Mankini. We stray further from the, the great sandworm butthole that is our mm. god. Anywho, we are brought to you by Wabam Entertainment. That's W-O-B-A-M entertainment.com. You can find the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Hops and B.O. Flops. Send us your tips for walking without rhythm to not attract the worm. T.W., if the listener wants to get your tips for plucking out all of your body hair, where can he find you? Uh, when I'm not doing the how did the avoid the worm stanky leg, you can find me on Twitter at WriterTLK. And Chumzilla, when you're not replacing all your teeth with deadly weapons, where can the listener find you? You can find me handing out tips on how to modify your still suit to make bathtub gin on Twitter <laughs> at Chumzilla8. All right, excellent. And you can find me, C-A-P-T-C-A-S-H, on most of your social media. Now, on to Dune. Uh, Dune is currently available in theaters and HBO Max for about another two weeks from when this episode will drop. So watch it while you can. Uh, the beer we're drinking tonight is Corona Light. This is a callback to a previous episode where we did Corona. Today we do Corona Light because I think, you know, when I think of endless deserts and beaches, I think Corona Light. Also, I've not had one of these before, but the color kind of indicates it tastes just like whatever you get out of the reclaimed tent. So uh, I guess let's give it a try. Well, I mean, that's beer, sort of, almost. It's beer-like. It's yeah. beer-adjacent. Is it recycled beer? It, it definitely, this definitely feels like it's been through a still suit at least once. I think the actual brewing process for Corona Light is that a bunch of Fremen are just fed Corona, and then their still suits. Yeah, they walk, they, yeah, they, they go on a hike, yeah. and then that's how you get it. I mean, yeah. I, don't, I don't know that I'd call it Nobody else got this, so I'm the poor chump drinking this dumb beer. I mean, I've had a Corona Light. I'll say this. It's an excellent day-drinking beach beer. I mean, it's it fits the bill. Yeah. I mean, honestly, 
it's light. It doesn't taste that bad at 4% and it's 99 calories. I mean, it could do worse. I don't think I can yeah. get drunk off these very easily. I'm saying you could have six or eight of those and you're still going to make it to dinner. You know? Yeah. I, I feel like I feel pretty confident. I can go uh, exercise after this, but I'm sure to wear my still suit. While yeah. I do it. Never mm. ride a sandworm while drinking. It's not legal. You might get pulled over by the fun police. <laughs> yeah, well, trust me, coconut Pete learned that the hard way. Would I expect the fun police in this scenario? Because I feel like I would expect the fun police if I was doing that. And no one expects the fun police. So does that mean I now don't expect the fun police? You know what? I wouldn't expect the fun police on Arrakis. So I think it actually checks yeah. out. You there. Yeah. Get off that giant butthole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if Chumpzilla had a dollar for every time he'd heard that, he'd <laughs> hey, have like five. Worm fucker. <laughs> he'd have like five bucks, which isn't a lot, but well, it's still know. weird. It's happened five times. Hey, man, five bucks is five bucks. I will tell you this beer. I would I would sit through one bad movie for. I call it a one bad movie beer. It's not terrible, but I kind of feel like I get bored. So eh, I have a Corona Light, I guess. If you want, I don't know. I really expect to hate this beer a lot more than I did. You know what? Let's pour one out for uh, the Duke because nothing, nothing's better than family. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing like family. Paul Atreides. All right. So cast and crew. This film is directed by Denis Villeneuve, which I think I'm pronouncing that correct, but who the hell knows? It's uh, French. It's French. Dune was originally scheduled to be released in 2020, but due to ongoing issues with the coronavirus pandemic, was delayed until October of this year of our Lord 20 and 21. It stars Timothy Chamlet, also French. Chamlet, what am I here? Yeah, Chamlet. Uh, as the original Luke Skywalker, Paul Atreides, his parents are played by Chumpzilla's favorite Oscar Isaac and Rebecca Ferguson at, as Duke Leto Atreides and his concubine, the Lady Jessica. Is it just well, me or is it kind of just misogynistic the way they refer her? throughout the movie i thought that was really strange to keep in there wow. it's weird but it it is a plot point that the duke is unmarried yeah uh she's rose the hat just, so welcome back to her yeah significantly less yoga pants and top hats yeah she's way less hammy and much more weepy in this performance oh there's some there's some ham going on with her <laughs> yeah i mean I poor water discipline is all i'm trying to say that's fair that's fair uh, uh, Stellan Skarsgård, Skarsgård, Stellan Skarsgård, Skarsgård. <laughs> Who ate my chocolate? Was it you? Was it you, Beast? <laughs> Stellan Skarsgård plays the film's primary antagonist, the evil Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. Uh, we also get solid performances out of Jason Momoa and Joss Brolin as the warriors Duncan, Idaho, and Gurney Halleck. Their evil counterparts on the Harkonnen side of the house are Peter DeVries and Beast Raban, played by David Decimalchain and Dave Batista, respectively. Javier Bardem is on hand as Stilgar, one of the leaders of the native people of Dune, the Fremen. And Charlotte Rampling from Orca is back on the pod. Welcome back, Charlotte. Hey. As, the, as the leader of the Bene Gesserit, the Reverend Mother Gaius Helen Mohayim. Finally, Zendaya appears as Cheney, a native Arakeen woman, that is in Paul's dreams, but not much physical presence throughout. Get out of my dreams. Get into my sandworm. <laughs> I, now I'm picturing that with like an animated little sandworm playing the saxophone. That would be 
I'm just saying, ideal. There's crossover potential here. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, was was get out of my dreams, get into my car around an 84? Because if so, I think we can say Lynch dropped the ball. I mean, that's all you can really say. Yeah. I mean, that, that'd mm-hmm. be a huge ball drop if that song was out to not incorporate that somehow. Somehow, yeah. Well, IMDb describes this movie as such. The feature adaptation of Frank Herbert's science fiction novel about the son of a noble family entrusted with the protection of the most valuable asset and the most vital element in the galaxy. What are your guys' one-liners? Let's start uh, with Chumpy. Sand Wars. Sand Wars. Oh, I get it. Yeah, no, that's good. Punchy, I like it. All right. Thunder's Wizard, what's your two cents on this? Home the beach. Uh, uh, Literally, it's... uh... Fat man and little boy play politics over Sand World. Fair enough. My one-liner is sort of related to Chumzilla's. It's, what if Star Wars never left Tatooine and everyone was the Empire? <laughs> it's, the, yeah. There's, there's yeah. like, there are very clearly there's, good guys and bad guys in this, but the more you start to look at it, you're like, are there, though? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, everyone's fairly morally ambiguous, including the Lady Jessica. It's like, hey, you're we're basically gonna just a- plant some seeds here. That you're a false prophet. <laughs> well, it's basically like it's the fashion show for uh, stormtroopers. Like whoever wins out here is just going to get you know the cool the cool army, right? I mean, that's kind of yeah. Eventually, you know, one one house would become the empire. You know? Well, it's basically a Star a, Wars prequel. There is an emperor, uh, although yeah, exactly the yeah. more emperor like guy is. The Baron von Harkin. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It but. is it is funny to me that the Emperor has no appearance in this at all. Like he gets mentioned, but yeah. no physical appearance whatsoever, which I guess fine. Yeah, I, I think Denis probably forgot that he can show us stuff sometimes. I, I feel you don't like there's always a lot of to tell us. There's a lot of implied things. I'm like, we could have seen it. But anyway, let's let's keep yeah. going. All right, let's get into the plot. And before we do, this movie is relatively new, so we want to give warning that we are full-on spoiler territory from here on out. Everything you're going to hear is going to be stuff that you don't want it spoiled for you. Skip ahead a piece. Um, that being said, the movie does cover the first half of the Book of Dune that came out like 60 years ago. So maybe not that new. All right. I will say, though, I think the plot summary on this is going to be tricky because I could literally talk for 15 minutes just about the exposition on the setting of this. But the short version is it's the year 10,191 in the far-flung future. The galaxy is ruled by the Padishah Emperor Shaddam IV, who we do not see. Uh, but they are. it is also ruled by the other noble houses. One of these houses is House Atreides, and they've been given control of the desert planet Arrakis, which is called Dune, by said emperor. Dune is important because it's the one place in the galaxy where spice is mined. Spice expands the mind and allows faster-than-light travel. It's a thinly-veiled metaphor for the Middle East and oil, all right? That's what it is. Spice is sort of like like the drug from that Bradley Cooper movie where he, like, he'll take drugs and write a novel in six hours. It. What, oh, what was that movie what, called? What was that called? Limited? Limitless. Limited. Limitless. Limitless. <laughs> there you go. Yes. It's the drug from Limitless if it came out of a sandworm's butthole. A butthole. Yeah, but it also butthole. makes you, it's also a hallucinogen. Like, yeah, a little also, bit. There's also a spiritual element because it plays into the Fremen who 
or the native population of Arrakis. Yeah. I mean, the idea is that it lets you sort of see a limited future if you take enough of it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why the, the people who drive the faster than light ships are able to safely navigate a course that won't destroy the ship because they take enough spice that they can sort of see the future on the safe path. That's more or less yeah, what you're getting there. Which I find very interesting because we made the Star Wars jokes earlier. Yeah, this book came out in 65. Yep. Um, and it was relatively influential. A lot of people liked it because it the scale and it introduced a lot of cool sci-fi elements that, you know, I think people are attracted to. And that's why here we are in 2021 and there's a another version of Dune out there. Um, but yeah, that whole thing about space travel, that's probably the most Star Wars-y thing for me. Because the spice has elements of the force. And then it's also, there's a lot of space travel stuff about, you know, getting into hyperdrive and being able to, you know, uh, do that stuff in Star Wars. And I'm just like, wow, you know, okay. Yeah. Very Star Warsy. You know, I, I yeah, see where I George mean, Lucas might've borrowed from this. Um, yeah, the, it's different. The, it's different, but you, yeah, you definitely get that vibe. You're like, mm, yep. It's like the John Carter podcast we did, right? Where yeah, this yeah. thing came out so long ago and so many other properties borrowed or outright stole from it that this all feels familiar somehow oh yeah but it, like uh the the tale it's weaving is now been done so many times over like we were joking via text about like ways to describe this movie and like obviously avatar even though that's steeped in some sort of history as well borrows pretty liberally from like the major plot element of this film as in an outsider joins forces with the local, the local uh, population of a planet to fight back against tyrannical, you know, whatever. corporate. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's the classic white savior. Yeah. It's the classic white savior trope, but I will say what Dune does well, maybe not this movie, but it, the next one, hopefully you're going to learn that Dune is explicitly against that. And it's not a good thing when that happens. And we get some sense of that here, but let's, Kind of jump back, but so the short version again, the Atreides are going to get this new planet. They're going to be taking it over from the Harkonnen who are their historical rivals. And Harkonnen is coded as very, very, very evil, <laughs> like super evil. They're bad. Brutal. Very, I, very bad. And I'll just complain here. Evilly bald. <laughs> if you're familiar with the book, it's real easy to just be like, oh yeah, those guys. Yeah. But in the movie, it's like, yeah, they're clearly coded as bad guys because the visuals in this movie are pretty cool. Like it's got a cool look to it. It's both like sci-fi futuristic and minimalistic at the same time, which is yeah. kind of a cool, cool combination there. And uh, I like I like a lot of that stuff. The movie has a good look to it. Um uh, more on that later but these guys are clearly coded as the bad guys they seem to be like an oppressive almost like fascist type regime and then oscar isaacs is like the the warrior poet and house of Trades seems to be more genteel and and uh I, but i'm like but but, but why <laughs> like yeah. you don't really have anything it, the visuals tell you that you got guys that look like good guys and guys that look like bad guys but you don't actually see them do anything that would really make you want to say I mean, like, oh uh, yeah that's why they're the yeah. bad guys other than fighting to kill a bunch of people 
on one side and, and I guess subterfuge and betrayal, which is generally yeah, but, a bad guy thing, but, but yeah, but you can tell that like, obviously they're not good. Like, you know, Batista's coded as a bad guy. Momoa's coded as a good guy. Yeah. But you don't really know why they fight. And then they so, fight a lot of yeah. the bad but, guy. But, but again, are just being bald and pale. And then Batista gets really angry and yells a lot. He yells yes. a lot. Yeah. And he like, and, and the lot. Baron speaks, speaks very deliberately and has like a very deep baritone voice. It's like, Oh, he must be bad. He's yeah, also like he's doing his task and he's like, you know, floaty and weird. He's clearly yeah. a glutton, uh, not only well, for foods, but for the spice of this world, like power and wealth. About, yeah, power, yeah. You know, like that's sort of the way they, they say, but you know, I only watched this once. Well, one, one, one and a half times. Um, do we see them do anything like negative towards the Fremen? I mean, the Fremen. Yeah. So like in, in the opening, when Paul is having the dream of Cheney and Cheney is talking to Paul, but really us is the audience. She does explicitly say that, that the Harkonnen have, has, you know, basically taken over us and has subjugated their people and that we try to fight back, but they're brutal and they're monsters. Yes. Yeah. That's, and that's, that's yeah, the brief bit of exposition you get on that. Yeah. Aside from like, then you see them like, oh, you're pale and weird. Yeah. You must be. Evil. Yeah, you guys are clearly bad guys. You've got black armor. <laughs> black, black armor is Can bad be. guys. That's just how it is. They do a lot that's of that, though. Like uh, the emperor's guards. It's like, let's just make them talk weird and scary. Like, that's how like, they're bad. The, the Mongolian throat <laughs> singing is pretty great, but we're going to get there. And those are the yeah. Sardaukar. Um, But the, the first 30 minutes of this thing, is largely exposition told to us through a combination of Paul's prophetic dreams and like this little audio book device that he carries around that sometimes can project things that sort of teaches him about the planet that he's about to have to go to. I did enjoy that. I wish there had been a bit more of that because it was kind of cool to see uh, 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 what's a Paul look up uh, Arrakis on Wikipedia yeah, and just kind of have, have Siri read it to him. Yeah. Let me browse the wiki entry on this place. Okay. All right. Remen. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Uh, but in the first 30 minutes, we spend most of the time on Caladan, which is the ancestral home of the Atreides. We meet Duncan Idaho played by Momoa in his most Momoa. I think we've seen in a while. This is very much a, on a level of my man, Paul. My yeah. man. <laughs> it's not over yet. <laughs> don't get all right thing in this movie at all. Like Batista definitely was acting. I feel like Momoa just showed up and read his lines. I don't I mean, agree. I with like that, the guy. He's I thought likable. he was, I thought Duncan Idaho was great in this movie. I get the sense that, to be fair, I feel like Momoa got the script and it kind of said, "Do what you do." Yeah, I just Your don't mo- feel like he was trying to put on like any sort of performance other than just being himself. Because everybody else in the movie talks with a weird like affect. I won't say an accent, but an affect where you can tell they're like. But I guess he's a soldier. Brolin does a little bit. He's more deliberate in his delivery. But Momoa is just he, like, hey, what's up, Paul? He was. Hey, he you was put Gurney. some muscle on. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> that's what I would. That's what I expect from Gurney. Uh, Duncan, yeah. obviously different in the book. But I mean, across the board, everybody's doing different things in this movie. It's not like yeah, it seems fair. to me that Lady Jessica and uh, and uh, the the Duke Atreides are like from the same uh like, oh they're not but they're, they're from a di- so uh, but it's 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 weird because they do yeah. try to have different cultures but the atreides particularly feel all a little like no one's on the same page 
Um, but I will say I did like Bro, uh, Brolin's Gurney Halleck. Um, and, and I know we, we just talked about how Paul basically has Wikipedia read to him as a way to get through some of this exposition. But in each of those cases, I think they do a really good job of setting things up where you get to meet a character and then that character gives you some piece about the world. Like when, when Brolin shows up, they have the, the knife fighting or the sword fighting where they explain, okay, well, in this future, we've all got personal force fields. So instead of having guns, we all have to rely on swords and knives now, which, you know, that was showing rather than telling. Yeah. Yeah. And we also get the an almost identical scene in, in David Lynch's Dune, too. Yeah. Which, well, I mean, I, it's from the book. The, the duel the is book, from the book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I mean, even the practice, you know. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like yeah. it, the yeah. practice duel is with is, Gurney. That's yeah. with Gurney. Um, Gurney, see, Gurney. Yeah. yeah. We see that Duke Leto is a decent guy and a good dad that genuinely cares about Paul uh, mm-hmm. and, and Jessica. Uh, we also get introduced to Lady Jessica's order, which is the Benny Jesuit, who are a group of women who are basically the Illuminati um, and their ability to use the voice, which is more or less spoken mind control. It's very totally much- not the Jedi mind trick. Yes, it's hundred percent. The Jedi mind trick, <laughs> except that, you know, they do weird things with your voice. So it sounds scarier. It's yeah. It's not nearly as cool as Obi-Wan doing, doing the wave. Like these are not the yeah. you're looking for. Yeah. And they're totally not the Jedi order. That's not the Jedi council either. No, it's totally different. It's, yeah. it's different completely yeah. different. I'm just saying it, it, yeah. it came first. I want to be clear here. I'm I'm just I'm yeah. ripping on Star Wars here, not Doom. Doom Seattle's Seattle's hundred percent of Ben Jesuits. I mean, for what it's worth, if if Alec Guinness had looked at the, the stormtrooper and said, These are not the droids you're looking for, it would be pretty cool. No, he'd have to do it in her voice. Oh well, <laughs> her, her witch voice is quite something in this movie. That's fair. But we'll get and we'll talk about that later because it becomes a major plot point. Um, yes. We also get introduced to what is effectively Lady Jessica's boss, the Reverend Gaius Helen Mohayim. It's hard to say that every time I think of it, but Charlotte Rampling's character. And we get the famous put your hand in the box scene. Put your hand in the box. And we get the gum jabar test. Now, I want to ask because. I know what's happening with the box, but you guys have not read Dune. No, Do you I, know what's I, happening with the box? Oh, you I, read Dune. Okay. Yeah, I read Dune. Yeah. All um, right. Chumzilla, have you read Dune? I have not. I tried to read it once and I, okay. I tapped out. It was not, it was not for me, uh, but I, I am familiar with the story and I am aware of the box, right? It's, it's, okay. it's a, it's a pain device, right? To test yeah. his humanity, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. There is impulse control really. Yeah, that's the one thing where I, I didn't it didn't feel like the, the storytelling worked for me because the concept is he puts his hand in the box. It doesn't actually hurt him physically, but it causes him to feel tremendous amounts of pain. And she's holding a needle to his neck. And if he takes his hand out of the box, she'll kill him with the poison needle. But I don't know, like I needed visuals like to illustrate the pain he was seemingly thinking he was in. As yeah. opposed to just him like doing this weird grimace. Um, and you know, it's not that Timothy Timothy Stralum is not a greater actor or anything, but like it's kind of hard to pretend like you're being tortured. Yeah. When you- well, I mean, I, I thought he did a great way of selling it when he when he like feels the initial pain, you kind of get that where he gives that look like, okay, okay, fuck you, yeah. kind of. But, but then it like it never really progresses in a way that 
illustrates yeah. it well, I don't think. But well, and if you're not familiar with what's going on there, it's not super clear. And that's I think what I mean. that's a problem I have with this movie in general. I'm very familiar with the story. I've seen the David Lynch movie a handful of times, um, which is frankly pretty enjoyable. I mean, it's not, yeah, it's not a, bad. It's not a great movie, but they tried. Like it's yeah. one of those deals where there was a lot of effort. They were trying to make that movie work. And it's got some interesting, like, you know, wrinkles to it. And it, it's the, what gave us the spice must flow. That's not in the book. That's from the David Lynch movie. Yeah. Um, spoiler. Cause I think there's a little bit of hubbub on the internet. Like, Hey, how come they didn't say the spice must flow? Cause, cause that's from the David Lynch movie, not from the book. But uh, yeah, I feel like the, uh, I don't need more Wikipedia, but I feel like the characters needed to talk to each other just in general, a little bit more about their motivations. Mm, like fair. just in case you weren't familiar with the story, you might not understand all the beats they're giving you because yeah. all this stuff is straight from the book. But I feel like there's a little bit of context that gets lost if you're not familiar with it for whatever reason, you know, the director, cause I think he wrote this too, right? The screenplay. Yeah, he, he co-wrote it with two other co-wrote guys. It. Yeah. I, I feel like they may have missed out on an opportunity here to use a little bit of poetic license to weave a, a richer, you know, story into the film that mm. would have helped people not familiar with Dune follow and understand and add some weight to it. Because the scene, I could see somebody watching this be like, what's what's going on? I can see like, you know, that frustrated girlfriend or boyfriend being like, hey, you know, who's been drugged to this movie by their partner who's big into Dune, like what's in the box is it Gwyneth Paltrow's head Pain. you know because it's yeah. not super clear why they're testing him and I get it it doesn't necessarily maybe come out in the book at that point but oh come on throw the audience a bone yeah. just give us give us a little bit of backstory here as to what's happening I feel like there's probably parts of this movie that were cut out uh not an exceptional amount but there's definitely I think connective tissue because by the time you get to certain things it kind of just happens like right away yeah. stuff happens a lot stuff happens and happens fast you're like whoa okay all right yeah, um, there's a lot of stuff that goes on off screen and you're just like oh so that that happened okay yep, that happened the end. so yeah, okay let's keep going yep um the only other note about the interesting meeting of lady jessica and the reverend mother is that she mentions that jessica was not supposed to have a son she was supposed to have a girl because the Bene Gesserit are trying to breed what they call the Kwisatz Haderach, which is basically the superhuman who can see all of the past and can therefore predict a better future. And that maybe Paul is that now, but they're not sure. We also learn that the Atreides are being given Dune as a trap by the emperor, that Duke Leto has become too popular and too influential. So the, the, the emperor wants to take him down a peg. And, and why? How? Well, the idea uh, can, is. Can you show us that? Because, again, you just have to take their word for it. Yeah. Okay. The idea is they'll get Dune, but then the Emperor is going to give the Harkonnen some of his super powerful troops, the Sardaukar, to help take Dune back in a, in a military coup. But. And, and how was how are they going to get away with that? Is that. Well, this is all like because the idea ops. is the Harkonnen, <laughs> the Harkonnen by themselves couldn't do it, but with the Emperor's help, they can. And and, and again, yeah. my whole point is here. Here's where, and this is from the book, so I'm just going to knock the narrative here. I, I get what's going on; it makes sense. That's where the story has to go because that's how the book goes. But 
what's the end game there? Then is anybody else going to trust him at that point? Or is that, is that just the end game right there? Like effectively now the, uh, the Hadouken now that's it game over. They're the dominant house. Like, no, no, they're not, they wouldn't do- be the one- dominant house that they would still be under the emperor, but now, yeah, but, but no other house is going to trust the emperor ever again. They're going to, like, you're just going to give your goon squad to the Hadouken. And we're, the, we're you the, know, we're, the, we're, we're, it's like, I just don't understand how this listen, plays his plan, out in the end. <laughs> his plan is very short-sighted because there's absolutely no tra- reason to trust the Baron von Harkonnen. That's true. He's like the uh, least trustworthy person. <laughs> it, okay, first of all, it's not Hadouken or Von Harkonnen. It's just Harkonnen. Yeah, and, and I just want to say that Sarsgaard is doing his best Max von sit out in this movie. Let's just be clear. Who is Stilgar, which is a different character. Anyway. Wait, wait tell, somebody wait, tell stop. me what happened to... Uh... <laughs> just let, let me just say this part so we can what's get, Andy Serkis' to... guy they just kill off in The Last Jedi whatever that guy where's he at Snoke, Snoke. Snoke yeah. he is doing Snoke a really good Snoke is just a desiccated baron like, oh, okay. like if, right, yeah. if you don't get the baron back in the oil bath fast enough he turns enough. into a he Snoke he just turns into yeah. a Snoke yeah no, that's okay. good All it's right. okay because I've got a jar of Snokes in the back so <laughs> crack open a Snoke we'll get this taken care of no problem all right the other important thing that we learn is that the Reverend Mother insists that the Harkonnen not hurt either Paul or Jessica. And that's important because in under ordinary circumstances, they just have murked them and they don't. Again, rampling. What the, what the fuck are you doing? This is like asking the Orca not to eat <laughs> the guy that murdered, oh, Derek? murdered yeah. its wife and child. <laughs> Well, I just like it's also real suspect too. It's like, oh yeah, but don't hurt them. Why are they important or something? Definitely hurt them. Yeah. No, no, don't worry about it. No, it's cool. It's cool. It's just, just that's our deal. Yeah. Just don't. It's gonna be fine. He's the well, chosen anyway. one. He's got the high ground. <laughs> that's the Kwisatz Haderach actually means highest ground in. No, I'm. All right, so we we finally get to Dune after about thirty five minutes. Um, Paul Gurney and Duke Leto accompany the planetologist, Dr. Liet Kynes, to oversee spice production. They go into the desert and they see how the spice is collected and they learn that the sandworms, which are native to the planet, will always attack the spice harvesters. Um, The escape vehicle that the spice harvester has fails. Leto lands the ships that they're in to save all the workers, in part because he's a good guy, but in part it's supposed to help his appearance as the new leaders of this planet be like oh no we're different see we saved the people uh but when they do this paul's exposed to a lot of raw spice and his prophetic visions start happening more intensely and more frequently but he gets uh checked out and gets an a-ok bill of health from dr ua they call him the yeah. a souk doctor uh who basically can like touch paul and tell he's like he's got touch mri yeah yeah he's good naughty paul Bongo and Toki. <laughs> essentially, he did a bunch of acid and <laughs> nearly, nearly was eaten by a worm. Now, who's going to die? And, and uh, yes, we do see our first shot of, of the giant worm that just swallows this, this giant factory machine hole. It, it looks like a toothy butthole. It really, really just does. Have you seen our harvester? Have you checked your butthole? <laughs> <laughs> Skeet up, butt up, toothy butthole. Oh, Tom, Carter, you're the best. What, what's the uh, what's the Fremen word for the uh, for the sandworms? Save it. That's going to come up. I won't oh, tell okay. you. Oh, that that's part of the trivia. Oh, 
Oh, no. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> anyway, after an attempt on Paul's life by a Harkonnen agent, Leto places the troops on high alert. But Dr. Yui disables the fortress's shields, which allows the Harkonnens and the Emperor's troops, the Sardaukar, to basically come in and overwhelm all the Atreides forces. So, so the key part of this assault on this planet base is to get the shield generators down. Right. You don't say. Indeed. So I got now, one moving on. One weakness. <laughs> That's it. Just one. Uh, after the shield generators are down. Yeah. And that weakness is apparently poison gas. Hey, wait, hang on. No, no, no. But we're going we're gonna to come there. Uh, You're striking me down. You're making me even more powerful. Yes. Okay, let's keep going. Yeah. So Dr. Yui, after having disabled the shields, grabs Duke Leto and tells him that he made a deal to deliver the Duke to the Baron in exchange for freeing his captive wife, who the Harkonnen have. Um, but Yui then replaces one of the Duke's teeth with a poison gas capsule that if he crushes it, he can breathe a, a cloud of poisonous gas that'll kill everybody in the room. Again, so I just want to point out that I had tapped out of trying to read the book at this point, and it's this kind of stuff is probably why. Needlessly complicated. Like, I mean, I, what would you, you prefer, a in, tooth bomb? Or? Yeah, you can just tell this is written in 1965. Like, oh, it's got a poison capsule and a false tooth. It's like, what is, what is this? Is this that's, a Sean Connery Bond movie? What is this? The least of this book or movie's problems. One of the main no, problems I, is... It's just one of them. It's just one of them. This is now the third person to trust the Baron von Harkonnen. Like, and Baron it, von Munchausen. <laughs> yeah, Max von Sydow. Uh, no, Baron no. Vladimir... Harkonnen. For yeah, no Harkonnen. reason. He's no, not trustworthy. He's, he's creepy as hell. It's like, that guy's bad. Don't trust him the at all. The entire like, movie, he's either shirtless and grotesque or eating chicken. <laughs> he's not a trustworthy person. <laughs> like, like whole chickens, like in Thinner. Um, oh, this chicken is so good. It's like, seriously? This is your power Um, In front of this guy? And let's be clear, it's not to free his wife, it's to join his wife. Yes. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Oh, yep. Clever wordplay from the Baron von Harkin. Yeah, <laughs> what, what, what do you call that? The adjective game or the verb yes. game? It's 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 very specific word choice, exact word dealing. So yeah, so obviously the Baron then kills Yui. Uh so he joins his wife. In already the dead. freedom of death, which, yeah, all right, cool, fine. Um, Leto then does crack his tooth and try to blow the poisonous smoke at the Baron. It misses. The Baron manages to survive. In the meanwhile, Duncan Idaho has stolen one of the flying ships that they call ornithopters, which basically look like dragonflies. We kind of glossed over that, but I think it's a cool thing. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, and oh, the Harkonnens yeah. then take another ornithopter out to the desert with the intention of just leaving Paul and Jessica there be, with, because they didn't kill them. They just put them out in the desert. And if anyone asks, they can truthfully say we put them out in the desert. Yeah. That's again, classic villain move. Like we're not gonna, we're going to sort of keep our word and, you know, just leave things to chance just enough that it might, it might bite us in the butt. Who knows before they are left to die. They definitely threaten Jessica with sexual violence, which is super great. <laughs> it's like, Jesus, yeah. guys, come on. Yeah, rape is character development. Awesome. Yeah. All right. But it, that, and, that now hold on here. I need your that opinion. Is, that on is this. brought up about them, though, that they essentially 
that's part of their brutality. They yeah. uh, metaphorically are raping the land in which they inhabit of all its riches and probably committing many other atrocities. Well. <laughs> many other little rapes against its people. <laughs> yeah. 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 War crimes. So when they're in that uh, ship with the uh, Harkonnen troops, one of the guys uh, is deaf and they point that out because also in this movie, there's sign language. Yeah. That, that clearly nobody was was briefed on the House of Trades. Nobody got their Wikipedia machine out to say, hey, watch their hands. They might be sneaky. Um, but anyway, is that deaf guy, is the point of pointing that out is that because he's hard of hearing, he can't hear the voice? That's my can't thought. Influence him? Yeah, he okay, can't so, be yeah. betwixt by... So, so the, the voice. voice is literally a voice. It's not telekinesis. No, yeah. So the, the concept, no, it's, it's voice, not supposed yeah. to be magic. It's supposed to be a way of speaking that so deeply influences your brain that you can't help but follow it. Mm. And I, that's not really pointed out in the movie. It, it does come across much more like magic, but they do use the voice to then free themselves. They basically tell the Harkonnen to kill each other and problem solved, except the ornithopter is disabled and now they're stuck in the desert. But they do find a pack, including the, the, the Duke's ring and a tent that will allow them, uh, Paul and Jessica, to survive in the desert and a beacon to hopefully have somebody from House Atreides come find them. Which, fortunately, Duncan Idaho does do. Yeah, with his partner, Hannah Montana. It's pretty cool. <laughs> that is correct. That is correct. Uh, yeah, sorry, I probably <laughs> spoiled one of the uh, trivia questions with that. But yeah, Miley Cyrus is uh, is uh, <clears throat> uh, Momoa's sidekick in this. So. You know who they uh, could anyway. find, though, in the desert? Carmen Sandiego. Oh! <laughs> Robert California is out there naked because he's the Lizard King. Lizard King. <laughs> <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. Well, uh, Idaho does take them back with Liet to Liet Kynes's like abandoned planetary research station, but they're quickly tracked down by the Sardaukar and basically Duncan and a bunch of other people sacrifice themselves so that they can get away. Um, Paul and Jessica fly an old ornithopter into the desert to try to find the Fremen. Um, Kynes gets ambushed by Sardaukar troops, but lures another sandworm in and it basically eats them. And then they meet... Like Paul has a couple more visions as he's trying to fly the ornithopter through a sandstorm, <laughs> but they meet up with the Fremen among them, Stilgar and Cheney, the girl from Paul's visions. And one of the Fremen challenges Paul to ritualistic combat, uh, which Paul wins. And then the movie ends the end. Wait, yeah. what? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Stay tuned to be continued. Two. Yeah. In two yeah. years. Which was not guaranteed when they shot this. Holy shit! That takes well, some balls, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'm shocked that they didn't film these back to back, but they did not. It, and yeah, yeah, they took a big, yeah. I guess, what I you consider a big Hollywood risk with uh, with this, because yeah, it's definitely part one of of two. It splits the book in half, roughly. It ends on a cliffhanger, and the title card for the film is Dune Part One. It, so, this is this is yeah. like if. Uh they didn't shoot the Lord of the Rings movies back to back. And they're like, well, if fellowship doesn't do it, I guess that's it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So how many beers do you need to enjoy this movie? Um, 
let's take it to Thunder's Wizard. Well, I like the book. Uh, I read it a few years ago, and I'd forgotten some of the plot details. But as this movie unfolded, I was like, "Oh yeah, here!" Like, I thought it was really lovingly crafted to Herbert's book. I mm-hmm. thought visually, it's it's really really eye catching, and I guess. Uh, if you have the chance to see it in a theater or an IMAX in particular, you should, because the movie's actually a little dark. So it just wasn't like, even on a big screen TV. I, I, I don't think it was done the justice it deserved. I'd say two to th- probably three enjoyment beers because it's long and yeah. it feels long and it can drag. And if you're not really into the world and the lore and some of what it's doing, and it doesn't feel like say like as much as like some of the plot, beats can remind you of star wars like this movie is very old school uh the way it's written the dialogue uh the way the characters are so three enjoyment beers for me i liked it a lot i'd like to go see it in imax for sure if if i am able to have the chance but i'm excited for part two uh if you love the book you're gonna love this movie because i think it does a lot of things super well and it definitely represented the book well so okay good jumpy how many beers for you it's two and a half hours long so i'm going to give it four beers to enjoyment to pain because the movie teases you in the first like five minutes with some decent action and some cool visuals and then it kind of pumps the brakes and it actually never recreates some of that like interesting action stuff you get in the very beginning like there is a big battle you know about midway through and you do the duel at the end is an okay fight scene um but yeah it's just if you're not super familiar with the books it's kind of a slog and and some stretches they probably could have tightened it up and again there's just there's not a ton of dialogue in this it's not like um mad max where there's long stretches of no dialogue, but most of the dialogue is pretty Spartan, you know? Yeah. And I feel like it, at times it does feel like it's just kind of hitting beats from the book and it doesn't naturally transition. There's maybe some like connective tissue that's just not there because you don't need it, but it would sure help someone in the audience not familiar. So that's why I'm going to give it, like I said, those two pain beers because there are parts that drag. So four total. Okay. Not bad. It's, it's worth seeing though. I, the scale, the scale. Have you seen like Blade Runner 2045 or whatever? Like there's some shots in that that give some great like scale and it feels like a big movie. This has some of that too. It's got some really big visual shots that scale is cool. It probably looks better on the big screen, but I would not put it in the must-see category, but it's probably better on the big screen. There's definitely a couple of shots where they're like, oh, yep, this is meant for IMAX. I also don't know why they're flying a spaceship that large because there's four of them. Yeah, in the very beginning. I, well, I will tell you, I saw this in IMAX and I watched it at home and it it works a lot better in IMAX, like a lot better. I liked it. It's a good looking movie. It, it's slick. I, and it's a kind of a weird one for me because I really enjoy this movie. And there are so many like tight little details that if you're drinking beers to fuzzy your brain, you're probably not going to notice them. But at the same time, it, it is overly long in parts like it's two and a half hours and at least 15 minutes of that is like close-up shots of a person's face while there's random keening sounds in the background yeah it's what like 
Let's go. I get it. Cool. There. It's Artie. Let's move. Yeah, there's so for- a lot of emphasis on Paul feeling the weight of his pending responsibility. Yeah. A lot of time with him having these weird visions that's like that are not super clear. Too and we do dreams, get one sh- for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And we do get one shot that was very reminiscent of the floating Ruffalo head when he has that vision of himself in the white. Yeah, the white armor, white that, golden so, armor, and his visor pops up. It's like, oh look, that's a CGI face floating in front of the screen. Yeah, it's not not great. Yeah, so that's one of his visions where he becomes the the emperor basically, and he, and this is where you get the hints of what why this isn't a white savior trope because if he becomes the emperor, he's having visions that his army of fremen are going to sweep across the galaxy and kill a bunch of people in his name. And that's what he's freaked out about. But I, I don't feel like the movie does a great job of explaining that's what he's feeling. Yeah, no, it looks it, it, much more heroic than that. Like, look, yeah. I'm doing all sorts of cool, like, flips on. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing ninja flips people. on the sand. Yeah. yeah. So for me, I'm going to call this. It's a three beer movie because it's long. It's just it's real long. But two yeah. enjoyment, one pain, just because there's it just eh, doesn't. There are parts that frustrate me. All right. Well, before we get into questions, thoughts, and trivia, we're going to take a break. So let's hear from our buddies over at the Double Turn Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm Boss Ross. And I'm the J-Man, and we're the Double Turn Podcast. Every Friday, we bring you the best in pro wrestling talk. Whether it's previews and reviews on pay-per-view events, discussing the hottest topics in pro wrestling, or bringing you a look back to some of the best matches and moments in history. We have it all for you. So check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the Anchor app. And you can also give us a follow on Instagram at the Double Turn Podcast. And we will catch you on the flip side. Welcome back to Hops and Box Office Flops. We are drinking Corona Lights and talking Dune 2021. So let's get into some general commentary and lingering questions. Uh, first thing, we mentioned how Chumpzilla, you had not read the novels or had attempted and gave up. And Thunderous Wizard, you had read the first novel. My big question for you guys, is there any parts of the lore that felt like didn't make sense to you or that you went, wait a minute, what the hell was that? Other than the ones we've sort of like briefly touched on as we've discussed the plot. Uh, not to really. me. It, it, my, my big uh, complaint is just the role of the Benny Jesuit. Mm-hmm. Again, I just, I struggle with some of the politics because I, you know, as the thunderous wizard said, I mean, the plan overall with the emperor and the Harkadin is kind of short-sighted and it's like, why does anybody trust these guys? You know, what's the, how's this going to pan out? You know, what are the ramifications of this? Even if it's successful, where does that leave relations? And again, I hate to say this because this goes into probably one of my big knocks against the, the prequel trilogy of Star Wars movies was you get these space politics things going on. That picture is not clear to me. What role do these houses have? What's the relationship with that emperor? Like I could have used probably like a Senate scene where all the houses are in there going rubble, 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 rubble to set some of this up. And then again, okay, so his mom's basically a witch. Um, I mean, they do explicitly right? call her that. Right. Which, and it's, yeah. Yeah, she's, you know, there's some supernatural stuff going on. Yeah. I mean, I hate to say it, but 
you probably could have given me some more backstory there to make me understand why do I, why is this important and what's their role? Because they're, obviously they're playing politics too. They, I did like the line where I say, hey, you know, men, you know, their plans are, you know, immediate. Our, our plans are measured in centuries. You know, they're playing the long game. So it's self-aware in that regard. I did enjoy that, but I needed a little bit more. And the plan is, and because they do give us information like, oh, we have you know backups if all fails. Like, okay, so he's not, you, you already know he's not necessarily like the chosen one. He's just an option. Yeah. But it wouldn't have hurt to give a little more well, there. To, again, to a modern audience that hasn't read the books, it's kind of like, ah, I, I, I would like to know more. I was fine with, with them because they basically outlined that, you know, they're manipulating people who are, in search of a higher meaning and, and someone to guide them. Oh, see, now we're going to get into the thing that bugged me the most that I wanted more of in the book, which is explicitly laid out. What you're talking about is something that Benny Gesserit have called the Missionaria Protectiva, where they have literally seeded planets with religions. Yeah. And the idea is it, it's not because they're looking for a chosen one. But they're creating these messiah myths on all these planets yep. solely yeah. in case some Benny Gesserit sister just winds up there accidentally and needs help to get the fuck out of there. They've got like a, a myth they can literally just step into and they yeah. just, oh, oh yeah. yes, I'm the messiah. Yes, I am. And here and here's how, you know, because the messiah is supposed to have a son and she has a voice and she, you know, does yeah. these things. And, and, and they, they sort of show that when they first get to Arrakis, the lady yeah. comes to present the gift and, and she basically reads her mind. Like, yeah. Who, well, what was and that's the thing. Here? So in this is again, explicit in the book and they, they show it in, in the movie, but you don't get the inner monologue where, so they they have, um, Shout out Mapes, who's going to be their their maid, basically, in, in their fortress in Arakeen. And she goes to present Lady Jessica with a knife made from one of the teeth of the, of the sandworm. And Jessica says, oh, it's called a this, a maker. And she's supposed to say some other things. But because the maid freaks out so hard, she, she stops talking. Because, oh I, oh, I said the right thing. I said the right thing. I'm going to stop talking. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's a lot yeah. more manipulation and a lot more explicit that, yeah, everybody is exploiting the Fremen. She's the Long Island medium. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, that's, you that's have totally uncle? what that scene is. Yeah. I, my biggest thing that, like, you don't get a lot of time with certain characters. And I feel like in the book, you get more time with the Baron and with the Duke. And then, like, there's this scene between them. He's like, 400 years of bloodshed. Like, now it's over. Like, the, you're the end of House Atreides. But you get the sense they don't like each other, but you don't get the sense they've been at war. Uh. This, this maneuver is supposed to cause war between them. And it's, and it's bad. And, and obviously, the Duke knows that. And the Baron relishes it because he's like, this it gives us an opportunity, whatever. But you just don't get that. Um, it's not built very well. And then by the time it comes, like you have almost no time with the Duke. You know, he's a good guy. You know, he loves his son, but he's like, basically tells his wife, I know I'm going to die. And they're like, okay. And now he did. Now he's dead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's some fatalism there. Um, so you bring up an Which, interesting point here. So time out. I, I, 
there's a there's a lot of fatalism shot did you get what the bull was like there's constant close-ups of a bull's head yeah and of a matador with a little bull statue did you understand what that was well i mean yeah it's metaphorical right but it also refers to his grandfather who fought bulls okay yeah, and was killed by a bull. That's was how killed he died. By a bull. Yeah, so basically, yeah. You, can, you can only avoid the bull for so long. Like if yeah. you play a dangerous game, the, but like to me, it felt by like the sword those, die by the sword. Yeah, it felt like a lot of those shots were like, "See, it's an arty movie. Look, interpret the bull." And I'm like, I mean, I get it, but you got to give us a little bit more of like people doing stuff. Well, so, uh, yeah, I could use more backstory on, on the politics and, uh, you know, maybe why, why things are the way they are and then the actual motivations of the Bene Gesserit. You know, I mean, obviously, I mean, yeah, they're, they're playing a game, but it's kind of like, uh, I feel like I was in Starship Troopers. I would if like you, to know more. If you get but, a scene with the Emperor, the Baron, and the Duke Leto, that basically creates this tension. Like, I'm taking this from you, this valuable prize thing from you, and I'm giving it to him. And you kind of see what the emperor's doing instead of just being told, hey, he's doing this to create conflict because well, and, Duke's too popular. And the scene we do get is with Polka Dot Man and Drax going to the Baron and being like, they took it away from us. Oh! And he's like, oh, but when is a gift not a gift? And it's like, OK, that's yeah. a little subtle. Like, I know what's going on here. And like, that doesn't make any sense. Well, I mean, the Polka Dot Man is really if you don't, good example of how this movie just kind of like washes like this guy's this important character and then he's just gone yeah so we didn't even talk about the mentats which are basically the human computers like the, the atreides have one his name is thufir Hawat. he's in this movie but he basically does like he's a bigger part in part two but basically does nothing in this and yeah. peter devries yeah. the polka dot man played by da- uh what's his name david chain david chain yeah like He's he's an evil mentat for the evil House Harkonnen, but he's got like four scenes. He like recruits the like he's in that that steam bath scene where Dave Batista is shouting at everybody, and he's yeah. in the he, he goes to pick up the Sardaukar army for House yeah. Harkonnen. That's about I, it. Yeah, I think I could have used a scene where the Baron talks to the Emperor, even like on like a, a, a video call. And just they have a conversation about like yeah what yeah they got thy bidding my master yeah yeah Maybe but like don't, a but don't blue worry we're gonna take... where the emperor's really large can't yeah. really see him that well so <laughs> if we want to change anything we can yeah yeah or a jar of Snoke's yeah. um so but you bring up a good point here Thunder's Wizard because there are a lot of characters you don't spend a lot of time with them and and uh, so I had some questions about the lore right which is your original question <clears throat> Captain Cash but here I'm gonna shift gears for a second. Here's what I wanted to see out of this movie, other than a little bit more action, a little more on-screen stuff. Um, I wanted more time with the villains because I think that yeah. would have helped flesh out their motivations, which I've already indicated. But also, those were cool characters. Batista didn't get nearly enough to do in this movie. Batista had like um, six lines, and five of them were just random shouts. Yep, I, I, he, he was given his all in that performance. He had his, more he murders cool. than lines. That's true. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, that's uh, uh, yeah. Now that you mention it, that sounds right. Um, I would like to spend more time with those guys. They were interesting characters. They, they, we could have gotten more time with the villains to see what their world was like and, and what they were doing. And then when Duncan Idaho goes with the advanced, you know, scout team or whatever to Arrakis ahead of the Duke and, and uh, Paul and the royal family, he goes there and, and spends time with the Fremen and does stuff. 
And then he comes back and we get a scene where uh, Javier Bardem shows up as the leader of the Fremen, at least a group of the Fremen. And, you know, it's clear that Duncan has learned their ways and has known stuff, yet he didn't obviously did not debrief the Duke. <laughs> yeah. Or or, le- or debrief his commanding officer that would have debriefed the Duke. So, which seems strange, but I guess maybe, maybe uh, it all maybe happened so quickly. I don't know. Unannounced. Yeah. But it also, it's clear that, uh, that Momoa was doing stuff on there on Arrakis with the Fremen. Why didn't we get a scene with Momoa hanging out with Javier Bardem doing cool, manly stuff on Arrakis? And, and like, I, there's a, so many weepy dream sequences in this movie with throat singing. Uh, could we have cut like 20 minutes of that and gotten 10 minutes with the villains and 10 more minutes with, uh, if you cut uh, the drink in Idaho on Arrakis, then, uh, you know, Zendaya is literally in this movie for three and a half minutes. Like she's almost entirely the dream sequence. That's the same dream sequence multiple times over. It's like, Hey, lens flare this time. What do you think of that? Yeah. I, I think it would have been cool if she'd been masked the entire time and literally just the reveal at the end that she takes her mask off. And she had that would have been cool. That's the reveal. <laughs> she's got a huge handlebar mustache. She's like, yeah, just, oh, oh man. I mean, in some Big level, she, she is literally like the desert pixie dream girl in this a little yeah. bit. I, yeah, I think it would, I mean it would it would have been kind of a cool like you know gimmick or whatever. She maybe just showed up at the very end, but yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, no, it's uh, yeah. There was just I think that would have helped with connective tissue too, and it would have been it would have been cool stuff to put on screen. Yeah, but, but right. I mean, I, it's it's uh, you know, hey, like. I hate to say this. Here's my big critique. You know, for a movie that's basically the first half of a book, there are parts of it where you, I felt like they were padding it for time. But the movie's two and a half hours long. I, I agree. I completely agree that there are points where it's just like, okay, let, let's go. Cool. Yeah, no, I, it's already. I get it. Let's go. Yeah. Um, but what did you think of the ending? You know, like... Mm. A lot of people are saying this movie is going to wind up living or dying based on how episode two goes. And like, I, I don't know, because in some yeah. ways it feels like a decent place to end it. Right. Like this feels very like, all right, Sam and Frodo are about to walk to Mount Doom, you know? Yeah, it's the only place to end, end this portion of the story, because from yeah. here, like if you read the book, the book then time jumps. And by the time you get to that part of the book, he's established as this leader. He's older. So, and obviously the movie's not going to be able to do that. So I think this is, this is the natural stopping point. Yeah. I'm trying to think back to the David Lynch one. This basically doesn't uh, Kyle MacLachlan just wander off into the desert and then he shows up at, at a battle riding the sandworm. Isn't that like his triumphant uh, return? I mean, they, they make him go through the whole like, learn to ride the worm i have ridden the mighty moon worm yeah but, but he yeah just, he, he just shows back up to his people though he spent he goes off with the fremen and then also just comes back and sweeps in and kicks ass yeah pretty much and then the movie like they they get the david lynch's instead of having ninja kung fu they, they get like voice things that make their voices explode stuff i, I don't know yeah and and then they just show up and like we win now it's raining on dune the end yeah yeah but um but no i did like you talked about the symbolism of the bull earlier i did captain cash like the symbolism of paul having to take a life 
to mature as a leader, to step into the world of, of men effectively. He had to leave his innocence and uh, naivete behind, right? And he has this dream where he gets killed, but it's metaphorical. It's a little heavy handed, but his old self dies. He's reborn as a new man because, you know, he, he's now done whatever it takes. So he can now be the true leader of, of men and people, which, okay. I mean, I'm not, I mean, sure. Is that in the book? Is that a, is that a crucial? Well, I mean, I think it's interesting journey for him in the yeah. book. Well, I mean, I think it's interesting because if they do this movie, you're right. No, it's not a hero's journey. Him doing that basically sets in motion what will be the death of billions of people. Well, so, yeah, but, but he doesn't know that yet. He's he, he's he's concerned because he kind of thinks he knows where it's going. But we just saw right there that his visions aren't necessarily yes, one to exactly. one. That's so he's, his dreams are an unreal narrator. But it, it feels like you know it's kind of in the moment. It feels like oh, now he's that was, that was his bar mitzvah. Yeah, Mazeltov. You okay, killed him. Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, well, so, I mean, <laughs> death. Yeah. So th- my thing with that is, especially in the dreams where you see the the guy who challenges him to a, a fight to the death, Jameis, say th- like they they look like they're buddies. He's like, I'm going to teach you so much about how to survive in the desert, and it turns out that his teaching Paul was by dying at Paul's hand. Yeah, was which is kind of it's it's interesting, and it helps show that the dreams aren't necessarily reliable. But at the same time, it's also kind of like it was a little confusing for me because when it happened, I'm like, I don't who is this character and what's he gonna teach him? And then it's Jameis, and I'm like, wait a minute, he just murders him. Wait, what? What? Yeah, there's that. There's like they're 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 meeting with the Fremen people, and then all of a sudden, just Jason Momoa crouching on a rock. And it's like, oh, this is the vision of what he saw of Duncan Idaho here, but it's interspliced in a really weird way because then they show actual people. And there's a lot of like, I think he gets a little obsessed with his own like abilities as a filmmaker at times in the movie, which speaks to you guys talking about. I mean, this movie's easily 20 minutes shorter if you cut out some of the longing looks into the distance or yeah, the hard squinty like, staring in the middle distance. Yeah. Several characters just pause and contemplate. Yeah. All right. Well, let. But, but I mean, here's here's what I find very jarring about the end of the movie, though. He's just murdered a man. They're in this harsh desert environment with sandworms, and Harkadin potentially still, you know, in in the mix. They could run into him at any time they stumble across a harvester or something. Right. But the movie just ends like, Oh dude, Zendaya, sweet. <laughs> Everything is going to turn out. Okay. Like it's desert just like power. Up- it's, like an, it's like an upbeat, like, okay. And now we're just going to go hang out with the harem of Fremen. There is a very, uh, she says desert power. And he's like, Whoa. <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh, I knew, boy. I'm the chosen uh, one. It's just like the totally the movie kind of shifts there. Now everything's kind of optimistic. And it's like, no, I'm pretty sure they're just stuck in a desert with giant butthole worms. You know, hey, watch out. Check, watch out for your cordal, Peter Man. <laughs> butthole worm will get you. 
Well, they also show the, the guy riding the worm. So it's like, oh, by the way, like once you become one of us, you're going to learn how to ride one of these bad boys. Which, again, that's just out in the open. Like no one's ever seen that before. It seems just kind of weird. Like, All right. Listen, you're asking a lot of questions here. There's a lot of questions you can ask about this. Okay. I mean, I, I will say I, it did feel strange to me that we got the shot of Dr. Kynes take out the hooks which are what yeah. you need to ride the worm. Yep. And we got denied a worm riding only to just be shown a worm riding. That's like, <laughs> again, that seemed the, very the, casual the, and offhand. Her again, death, very optimistic. It changes the tone of the movie. It's like, her, oh, they can be tamed. Like, her death made me so mad because she's like, oh, don't worry. I'm a Fremen. I'll just escape. The desert is my place. Yeah. And so she goes 16 feet outside of the place she was just at where they could easily follow her. <laughs> she gets killed it's like well, i don't know it, keep going like maybe go 100 yards well I'm, con- I'm confused too because she's got the blue fremen eyes not get it that's just from spice exposure but no one else has it none of the harkonnen have it none of the soldiers have it well they all you wear they all wear masks the harkonnens do not expose themselves to the spice as freely as the fremen do like the fremen right. do have like the thing to breathe but they yeah. they're one with the spice right the, the so my point is like so or is it the, supposed uh, to be? Yeah. Is it supposed to be a reveal avatar, though right? that like, she's a Fremen? I'm like, she's got blue eyes. She's clearly a Fremen. Like no one else has blue eyes but the Fremen because everybody else is. So I'm just kind of like, why is that supposed to be a reveal? When she's like, oh, no, I I'm think a you I'm like, know that she has lived among them, but you do not know that she had loved this man who's who's killed and that she adopted them as her people like she really doesn't work for the emperor she works for them now she won't speak against the emperor to people that she doesn't necessarily trust but she's a fremen yeah Uh, okay fair Fair. okay all right let us practice good beer discipline and hear from our buds over at the hop nation podcast hey everyone this is steve and this is adam and we're part of the hop nation usa podcast pittsburgh's number three craft beer podcast Join us every Friday for new beer reviews. We'll talk about the news, history, and homebrew. Plus, we'll sit down with the best brewers and industry personalities that'll have us. So whether you're a casual drinker, a hazy boy hophead, or even if you're a whale hunting cellar hoarder, just search Hop Nation USA on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher and join the nation. Welcome back to Hops in Box Office Slop. It is our 131st episode and we are talking Dune. Uh, We're going to be wrapping up the pod with the gum trivia challenge, standard trivia challenge. Gentlemen, chime in with any of the pod classics or desert power. You'll be playing for one of the teeth from the giant worms butthole, which may or may not be shaped like a butt plug. Ooh, that's a a, a good place. Settle settle down. I I can see Chumzilla sweating on the monitor. Really? Oh, man. Okay. All right. So. Question one, what is not one of the names for the giant sandworms? Hmm. Is it Shaihalud? Is it the maker? Is it the toothy butthole? I'm, no, I'm kidding. No, that, not that one. Is it Mwadib? Again, those names. A, Shaihalud. B, the maker. Or C, Mwadib. Desert power. Given it to Chumzilla. I think it's C. It is indeed C. Yeah, it is Mwadib. That becomes his name. It, yeah, ultimately it becomes yeah. his name. And it's the name yeah. for the mouse that he sees in the little. Yeah. yeah. In the videos and stuff. All right. Very I, good. I think that might be my favorite tweet I saw related to Dune. And 
something about like and the desert mouse will return in dune 2 <laughs> the desert mouse actually be. saves the universe just like an avengers endgame <laughs> that's that's the secret you know what i so i disagree okay i disagree the desert mouse is the opposite of the rat that that does the the saving in endgame i guess he sort of like leads to thanos winning the desert yeah mouse. he kind of does <laughs> jesus all right uh so Second question, how many books are there in the original Dune series written by Frank Herbert, not counting the books that are written by his son? Is mm-hmm. it A, 5, B, 6, C, 7, or D, 8? Desert Power. To the Thunderous Wizard. I think 5. That is incorrect. I was wrong. Chumzilla, that leads so you I, with... I have 6, 7, and what? 8. The number that follows seven. I'm going to go with seven. That is correct. It is seven. Yeah. Damn it. Uh, the, yeah. Those, for those of you playing at home, it is Dune, Dune Messiah, Children of Dune, mm. God Emperor of Dune, Chapter House Dune, Heretics of Dune, and what's the one I'm missing? Dune Blue. Song of Fice, Iron, Fire and Ice. <clears throat> Sorry. A Dance with Sandworms. <laughs> A dance uh, of sandworms. Have you checked up your sandworm? Have you checked your sandworm? That's going to bug me. Hang on. I have to look this up. And just uh, while we're waiting Dune. here, Captain Cash, uh, I think, I think isn't the general consensus they kind of drop off after Children of Dune? Is that? Yeah, so it gets real, like, God Emperor of Dune gets real weird, and it, it's like a time jump of literally 10,000 years. Mm. And it stops being about Paul Atreides, basically. I've only read the first one, but I do know that Duncan Idaho returns as a ghost. No, so no he's ghost. cloned. He's yeah, cloned. it's a Gola. He's cloned. Yeah. yeah. And he marries right. like an evil witch. And okay. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> weird things happen. Dune, weird things fish. happen. Yeah. Says my yes. man a lot. My man. <laughs> yeah. well, I want. I want the the like third generation copy, like multiplicity. <laughs> Where, where that Duncan Idaho, all he can do is just go, my man. She touched my peppy, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> my man. All right. Uh, how many times has the novel, this novel, Dune, been adapted for the screen? It, we're including miniseries here. Is it mm-hmm. A, 2, B, 3, C, 4, D, 5? Desert Power. Jumpzilla. I believe it's C, 4. That is a good guess, but incorrect. Mm. Uh, Desert power. I know of three. All right. And for the bonus, can you name them? Well, there's Frank Herbert's Dune, which was on sci-fi, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. That was a miniseries. That's correct. There's there's Dune. David Lynch's Dune. And then that's correct. And there's this Dune. Yes, that's the three. Now, Jodorowsky's Dune was never made. That is also correct. Points. I, I, th- I thought there's been two TV miniseries. Is it just one? Well, so the second TV se- miniseries is kind of a combination of Children of Dune and Dune Messiah. Right? Oh, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I, so I thought it was just Dune. Some gotcha, people, gotcha. Oh, some people like that. I haven't seen the miniseries. No, I've watched I, I the miniseries. I... It's not... The miniseries is very faithful to the books, but it's it's weird because it's weirdly horny and... It's also like the production values 
20 plus years on probably not great not great are not great like the sardaukar are deliberately designed to look like the the swiss guard where they've got these like big silly black chef hats and it just does not work does not work but uh, but you know it's got james mcavoy as uh the son of paul atreides which is pretty great Is, is that a bbc production uh no it was a sci-fi channel production oh but both were sci-fi yeah okay so i mean the there's dune there's the dune sci-fi miniseries and then there's children of dune which is a direct sequel and still has all the same but sci-fi but all sci-fi yeah exactly gotcha okay anyway moving on all right all right fifth and final question javier bardem follows and oh and we should say it is tied up two to two so anybody's game who wants that toothy butthole butt plug? Oh, boy. Javier Bardem follows an interesting tradition in actors who played the role of Stilgar. All of them have played a villain in what storied franchise? No multiple choice. Uh, that Desert Power. All right, Thunder Wizard, what is it? James Bond. It is James Bond. That is correct. I didn't Thunder know he was a in a Bond movie. What, what Bond movie is Bardem? Uh, Skyfall. Let the Skyfall. Sky the most recent one. No, no, the most recent anymore. Well, yeah, I'm sorry. No time to die. Yeah, okay. But he's I've the most recent Skyfall. Stilgar. Yeah, he's the most recent Stilgar. I don't even know who plays Stilgar in the David Lynch one. So, Everett McGill was, who was the Bond villain in License to Kill, was Stilgar in the '84 version, and then Stephen. Burkoff was Stilgar in Children of Dune, uh, and he was the bad guy in Octopussy. So, pretty like that's just a weird thing that happened. But congratulations to the Thunderous Wizard, you take home the Shy Halud plug. Congratulations, sir. Desert power, indeed. Desert Spice power, must don't flow. What 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 can one man do with all of that power? All right, let's get on to recommendations. For this week, Chumpzilla, you are the runner-up, so we're going to start with you. Well, I'm going to do an anti-recommendation this week, and it's an extension of Spooky Month, as we are here on November 1st, and another Halloween under the under the belt. Um, but I watched a lot of horror movies on all the various streaming services uh, this last uh, October, just because you know what? Horror movies are fun. It's that time of year. Um, and there's tons of streaming options out there. There's tons of like cheesy, you know, old horror movies. But there's one movie I've never seen. And I went out of my way to, to get my hands on it. And I wanted to watch 1980s uh, Cannibal Holocaust because the movie's infamous. Uh, uh, you know, it was like, you know, banned the people got arrested, Cindy. right? Yeah. The director was brought into court and had to prove he didn't kill the cast because he'd paid them uh, and had signed them sign releases to stay out of the like, public eye for like a year or something like that. Cause it's kind of like a found footage deal. And they tried to make it sound like they'd lost these four uh, documentary filmmakers somewhere in the, the Amazon or whatever anyway. And some of the, the practical effects were really realistic and they thought they'd basically made a snuff film. And you know, this comes at a time when there were these Mondo films being made stuff like, you know, Faces of Death and other movies that depicted real violence. and They were quasi-documentaries. So it was kind of a sensational thing. Blah, blah, blah. So this movie's famous for that. It's infamous. And uh, just real quickly, growing up, uh, my mom worked for a guy who had, uh, he had a friend that owned a video store that went out of business. 
and uh, in the early nineties. And he made a deal with the guy and bought like half the collection of his rentals. So he had this giant library of movies. And this is how I got exposed to a lot of R rated stuff as a kid. Cause I'd go with my mom on the weekends when she had to work overtime or whatever. And she just had me sit upstairs in this guy's office with his wall of movies. And I'd watch like Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, RoboCop, all sorts of stuff. And, uh, but the one movie I was never allowed to watch was Cannibal Holocaust. Okay. So I finally go out of my way. I watch it this Halloween. Don't watch Cannibal Holocaust. It's, it's, it's not worth it. Um, I will say for an anti recommendation, you're really selling it hard. Yeah. It yeah, feels like I just, should watch Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah. Like I kind of want to watch it now. So that's exactly where I was at. That's the whole point of this. I was still built up. I'm like, you know, I always wanted to see it. And the funny, the tagline. I kid you not, the tagline that the guy said to me when I tried to grab that VHS copy. And it was like the big oversized VHS box, like with the plastic tray and the cassette in the middle of it. Oh, yeah. It was, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And he's like, no, 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 you can't watch that one. That one will warp your mind. I'm like, okay, now I got to see it, right? So here we are, like, you know, 30 years later, I watch it. It's not great. Um, yeah, the practical effects are good. There's some decent gore in it. But overall, it's pretty offensive. Um, it's, it's not, it's meant to be that way. There is a reason that it's so terrible, but it's not nearly as smart as it thinks it is. It's a little meta, which I'll give it some credit, but it's not redeeming. Um, they kill several animals on screen. Oh, actually kind of sucks. They, they, they kill like a, a small marmot. They kill a, a large turtle. Um, they shoot a pig. They chop the face off of monkey and, and the, the brains. There's uh, some real sex. There's some simulated rape. It's, it's, uh, it's really not worth it. Even from an academic standpoint, I would just, I would read the Wikipedia entry and call it good. There's nothing worth seeing there. Take it back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <I'm> I, <laughs> I don't feel good about watching it. And like, not like it, it's not even that bad. I, I've never seen it's a, a Serbian film either. So I, I don't know what that's like, but it's kind of one of those things like it wasn't traumatizing, but it's like really not redeemable. So yeah, don't, don't watch that. If you ever get curious, cause it's so infamous, just pass. It's not worth just it. Don't watch Campbell Holocaust. That Fair is enough. one to grow on from Chumpzilla. All right. Thunderous wizard as the winner of the trivia. What is your recommendation this week? Well, mine's not going to be nearly as depressing or long-winded as that. <laughs> well, success then. But, uh, you know, we were just talking about James Bond. Obviously, Javier Bardem played the bad guy in uh, Skyfall, which uh, I guess is largely considered one of the better Craig movies, that Casino Royale being the two strongest of the first four. I saw No Time to Die. Uh, on the big screen i chose to see that on the big screen instead of dune because i love james bond and it's hard to get to the movies when you have children and i loved it i thought it was a perfect send-off for daniel craig's bond classic bond stuff it felt you know specter felt like very i did not like specter i didn't either but it, it paid a lot of homage to the to the older bonds and this felt to me like like a more traditional bond film as well it was just done a lot better than Spectre. Mm. Uh, Spectre's kind of meandering. It also kind of undercut the other three movies that preceded it by basically saying like, oh, remember all the motivations those people I had? I am the author of all your pain, yeah, James. Those weren't, those weren't real. Uh, he returns, uh, uh, Blofeld, Christoph Waltz, and um, he's not the main villain, though. I, um, I, I know Panzerkunst. Yeah. Does he use Panzerkunst against the... Hello, James. Hello, James. 
Would you um, like to know about my my daughter, the Battle Angel Alita and yeah. the Panzerkunst? <laughs> it uh, it was good. I liked it a lot. Some great, right. some great stunt work. Craig Craig will be sorely missed as James Bond. I don't, you know, we'll see who they cast to replace him, but he's leaving some big shoes to fill. He's quite obviously the best modern version of Bond. I guess if you're thinking about uh, Timothy Dalton, Pierce Brosnan. Uh, everybody has their own favorite bonds. I think every bond has brought something unique and interesting to the table. Like I love literally every bond for different reasons. Okay. You promise this wouldn't be as long winded, yeah. but see it, go see it on the big screen. Great stuff. All right. You'll love it. Very good. Uh, my recommendation this week is going to be simple. I just finished the third season of what we do in the shadows, the FX series uh, about it's like a vampire reality mockumentary. Uh, and season three finished strong and took a bunch of unexpected turns that has me really pumped for season four. So I'd say check that out. All right. That about does it for Dune 2021. Uh, remember, you can find the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Hops and Flops. You can find T-Dubs over at Writer TLK. Chumzilla can be found at Chumzilla8 on Twitter. And as always, I am C-A-P-T-C-A-S-H on most of your social media. Also, check out Wabam Entertainment at WabamEntertainment.com. If you enjoy the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe, and connect with us on social media to share ideas for future episodes. Next week, we start our hops and failed franchise flops, where we turn our bleary eyes toward movies that were intended to launch franchises that flopped, ensuring that that franchise was DOA. Praise the maker and his water. Bless his comings and goings. <laughs>